God tells Moses to build a tent, furnishings, and utensils that are to be used in worship. Moses is on board with God's plan, only there is one problem. He's not skilled in metalworking. Moses is not skilled in sewing or any other of the artistic skills that are needed. What does he do? What does this have to do with you and me? I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. So when I was a youth pastor, I, I, um, I'm even still kind of this way now. I like to look for reasons for us to gather as the body and celebrate, you know, Something that we can get together and we can rejoice over together. That, we can, that we're excited about what God is doing. And, and I feel like there should be no group of people that's more excited and celebrates more than the people of God. Because we have plenty of reasons to rejoice and celebrate. Right? And so when I was working as a youth pastor, I thought, you know what? We, I've got to find some way to celebrate my teenagers in this group. But I can't just do it as a teens and by ourselves. It needs to be a whole church-wide event where we all celebrate what God is doing in the youth group together. And so I thought to myself, he's like, you know what we need? We need teens love trophies, right? I mean, we all love trophies, right? It doesn't matter how, how important they are or how silly they are. We love trophies. And I thought teenagers love trophies. So we're going to have an awards banquet and invite the whole church to this awards banquet. It's going to be the greatest thing this side of the trailer park. And so as I was thinking through this idea of what to do, I, I decided, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a going to go buy the Red Solo Cups, and we're going to call this awards ceremony the Solo Awards, because it's a Red Solo Cup. And each team's going to get a trophy that's personalized to them, celebrating something about them, whether it was a funny moment during youth group, some nickname that they earned from me, or just something else that had happened. And then we as a church gathered together to do this. And that was the idea. It was a great idea. There's one problem. I don't have a whole lot of talent <laughs> when it comes to making trophies. So in my mind, what I'm thinking is I'm just going to go buy a red solo cup, Stick a piece of duct tape on it and write whatever the trophy is on there and give it to the kid. So when I went to my wife, you can imagine her reaction to my plan. She's like, Jason, you're not going to do that. You're not just going to give a kid a red solo cup and stick some duct tape on it. But she's like, but I love this idea. I think this is really cool. So this is what, we're, this is what I'm going to do. So my wife, she went, and we, we ended up doing this for three years. Well, I was there youth pastoring. She went and found these red, these, well, red solo cups, these different colored solo cups, and she actually made trophies out of them. I mean, look at them. Aren't they amazing? The greatest thing this side of the trailer park. And the church loved it. 
And matter of fact, so Nicole made the, 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 the first trophies, the, ones, the red ones on the bottom right. And the third year, I don't remember what happened to the second year trophies. They were blue, I think. But that was the final year when we were together. But Nicole made those. And when we had the banquet together with the church, you know, I'm not one to decorate very good either. Matter of fact, I was asked to, di- you know, I was the district leader for the, the youth program on the Pittsburgh district, and they asked me to decorate our booth for district assembly. And they, they, and they told me this 10 minutes before assembly was about to start. Okay, maybe it was more like an hour. So I just went and found some toilet paper and toilet papered the thing. I was like, that, that, that screams teens more than anything else. I would... I got a lot of comments about my booth at, at District Assembly. But when the, when, the, when the ladies of the church came to this event, because the whole church turned out and we had a good time, but that first one, they're like, Jason, you didn't even decorate. It's like, no, because I don't know how. I figured we'll just have some food and you'll, we'll give trophies and we'll all go home. So that next year that follows, the ladies of the church are like, Jason, you just tell us when this thing's happening and we'll take care of you. And, and they did. I showed up. There was balloons everywhere. I mean, it looked like a real awards banquet. And this event was so probably so successful that the district got excited about it. It's like, hey, Jason, can we do this for dis- the district? But we didn't use cups for that. It was we were the Pittsburgh district, so it was the pities. So we just bought some, some deodorant and spray painted it gold. And they ended up... <laughs> But we celebrate. But the reason I tell you that story, I'm telling you all this, is I had, God gave me this idea. But there was no way I could do that idea by myself. I was not talented enough. I wasn't smart enough. I would have never come up with that all by myself. I'm thankful that God gave me a wife who's creative and can do those things and surrounded me with other people who thought about the things that I didn't think about. It's almost like God didn't intend for us to do things by ourselves. He may give us commands. He may give us ideas. But the one thing He isn't expecting you to do when He gives that to you is for you to do it by yourself. So let's look at our text today. We're in Exodus chapter 31. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through, 30, 1 through 11. Sorry. Wow. If you, read, if you have 30 verses in chapter 31 in your Bible, you should probably buy a new Bible. Because you got it. One person. All right. All right. All right. Um, Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. It says, The Lord also spoke to Moses. Look, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uriah, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability. In every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. I've also selected Oholiab of the tribe of Dan to be with him. I have put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan in order to make all that I have commanded you. The Ten of Meeting the Ark of the Testimony, the mercy seat that is on top of it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table with its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin with its stand, 
the specially woven garments, both the holy garments for the priest Aaron and the garments for his sons to serve as priest, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the sanctuary. They must make them according to all that I have commanded you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And the scripture was on the screen. I just forgot I was supposed to hit the button. Sorry. All right. So God, if you're studying the book of Exodus at all, all, after they they cross the Red Sea and they get to Mount Sinai, it kind of gets boring from there, doesn't it? Let's just be honest. It's a real tedious reading in Exodus after chapter 20 and 21. It gets a little bit dull in spots. And this is one of those spots, but but kind of leading up to this, God is commanding Moses, hey, I want you to build the tabernacle, this tent that's going to travel with the people, and that's where they're going to come and do the sacrifices, and that's where they're going to worship me. That's where this is all going to take place. And not only does God tell Moses to build build this, He says, these are the items I want inside the tabernacle. And He gives very detailed descriptions to Moses of this is what I want there, this is how it should look, and this is where it should go. And Moses is a man of God, so he listens to what God's saying, and he takes it as God's command, but there's one problem that Moses has. He knows how to lead people. He knows how to read and write, and he knows how to speak to people. But he does not know how to do any of this work. doesn't know. That was never asked of him. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He didn't need to carve things. He didn't need to work with metals. But God comes to Moses and says, hey, I want you to build my tabernacle. But God doesn't call Moses to build this tabernacle alone, does He? What's He say? He says, look, I have appointed for you Bezalel. Maybe if I go up, that would help you. I have appointed this guy to be your helper. Now his name means in the shadow or under the shadow of God. Literally, it's, he is under God's protection. He is under God's care. He is under God's direction. That is this guy's name. And God's telling Moses, that, hey, this guy's going to help you. I have appointed him to come help you with this task in building the tabernacle. He's got all the skills that you don't have, Moses. He's, he, can build, he, can, he's, he can work with metals and all that stuff that you can't do. What's interesting about this, though, is you remember when God called Moses? How, how does God call Moses to, to go lead his people? What does he do? Huh? He spoke to him through a burning bush, right? The bush was on fire, but it wasn't, on, but it, it wasn't burning. And he, God physically showed up and talked to him through this burning bush. When, God, when Moses was called to God's ministry... God directly spoke to Moses and called him. But when God's calling calling Bezalel to help Moses, 
God tells Moses to go tell him. That's interesting, isn't it? He was still called by God just as much as Moses was, but Moses was the one that went to him and says, Hey, uh, the Lord told me to tell you this is what he wants you to do. And he's going to do it. He's called to do this work. He's going to work with stones. He's going to work with the silver and the bronze. Because he has those skills. He knows how. Moses doesn't know how. But Bezalel does. And not only does God get, has God given him the skills to actually to use his hands to be able to do that project, he has also given him the wisdom to look at the project, look at the design and the plans, and make it happen. I remember one time, uh, the, the dealership I was working for decided, decided to give a grill away to the salesman. I was a lot guy, so I wasn't going to win. But, but my manager said, Jason, guess what? Today you get to put a grill together. I'm like, oh boy, I'm so excited. But I get paid by the hour. <laughs> and that, that grill, it came with an instruction manual. That did not help much. <laughs> and it took me all day to put that thing together. And I got about halfway through, I, got, I thought I was done, and I looked and I realized I had it backwards. I had to take it all apart and start all over. See, it's one thing to have a plan laid out before you. It's one thing to have a set of instructions, but it's an entirely other thing when you actually have to do the work and bring it to life. Some of us are good at that. Bethel was good at that. He, God had given him that wisdom to be able to do that. That's why he called him to help Moses, because Moses needed him. Now, if you, look, if you skip down into verse 6, nope, wrong way. I'll get this thing figured out at some point. He doesn't just call Bezalel, does he? In verse 6, it tells us, I have also selected Oholiab from the tribe of Jan to come help you. He's going to come help him. Because he shouldn't do it by himself. This is a lot of work. I'm asking, I'm asking you all to make a bunch of stuff. Someone send him to help you. Not just him. I've, I'm in the heart of every artisan within your nation. I have put a desire to come and use their talents and skills for the sake of building this tabernacle. Because Moses can't do it. But I've, I'm, I've commanded him to do it. And he needs your help. And just like, just like Bezalel knew how to work with the, the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the gems, Oholiab and the rest of these artisans, they knew how to work with fabric. They knew how to go about making these, these utensils. When it came to, to making the anointing oil, these guys knew how to, to, to use the plants or whatever it was to, to draw the fragrance from it. And so God calls him to come help too. 
See, while they, maybe, you know, maybe these guys had developed these skills while they were slaves in Egypt. Maybe that was part of what their slavery called them to do. And, and through those years of hard work and, and being forced to the work, they, they had developed these particular skills to be able to do that. But do you realize the wisdom to be able to put those skills to use and to bring those things to life, where does that wisdom come from? That wisdom comes from God. Right? Isn't that what God says to Job? Where does wisdom come from? Who's given man wisdom? That's a really loose paraphrase of that, that verse. But, <laughs> but God's the one that gives the wisdom. We serve a God that, that's creative. Right? If you go out and look in, outside right now, you're going to see a blue sky. You're going to see the green leaves on the trees. You're going to walk past the side over here, and you're going to see all these different kinds of flowers that are growing. God's an artist. He creates beautiful things. And you and I, we were made in the image of God with the ability to make beautiful things too. And that's where these, these gentlemen are. Moses was given the ability to lead. Moses was the one called to lead the nation. He was given, he's the one that's going to be given the law. He's going to be the one that teaches the law and sets up all these things. He's going to be the one that oversees the work and makes sure the work gets done. But Moses himself did not possess the, the abilities to do it himself. But God said, I've called these other individuals to come help you. It's interesting, in the Bible, when God calls someone, they're never sent out to do it by themselves. Because two is better than one. Think about when Jesus calls His disciples, and then He sends them out. How does He send them out? In twos. You, you see that in the book of Acts. When, when Peter goes into the temple in Acts 4, Acts 4 he's not there by himself. He goes with John. Peter and John go in there. When Paul is traveling and doing all of his missionary work, does Paul go by himself? No. He goes with Barnabas. He goes with Silas. He goes with Timothy. And all his, there's all these lists of names that Paul thanks at the end of all of his letters. These are people he's met along the way that has been part of the journey with him. Now, what I find interesting is verse 11. So God's called all these other folks to come help Moses with this. But notice what what God tells Moses at the end of verse 11 here. He says, They must make them according to all that I have commanded you. God's, God's not talking to these other two individuals right here in this spot. He's not talking to Bezalel. He's not talking to Oholiab. He's, he's going to Moses saying, Moses, I've commanded you to do all this work to get the tabernacle ready, to have all this stuff in it. Yes, I've appointed these other folks to come help you, but I've commanded you to be the one to see that it gets done. He was called to be God's messenger. But he was also called to be the one to see that the kingdom work gets accomplished. 
He wasn't created to actually do that part of the work by himself because he didn't have that skill set. He couldn't work with the gems and the metals. He, he probably couldn't sew. He couldn't embroider things. But God has surrounded Moses by other people who possess that knowledge and the wisdom to do those things that he did not have. And those people were just as called to that ministry as Moses was. So how does this apply to you and I? Let's look at first let's go to First Corinthians chapter twelve. And I'm sorry, it's not on the screen for you. First Corinthians twelve. Now, this is going to be an understatement, but the church in Corinth, let's just say they had problems. Okay, that's why, that's why Paul is writing this letter to them to help clear up some of the problems that they were dealing with. And we all know in 1 Corinthians, we all know about chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 13, that is the love chapter in and it talks about and defines for us what love is. What, and, and not love according to what the world defines it as. It's, love is not defined as an emotion. It's defined of this is, this is what love is. Love is kind. Love is patient. Paul defines that for us in, in 1 Corinthians 13. But Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13 after chapter 12. Isn't that deep? He writes 13 after 12. (laughs) And he's right. And we oftentimes we'll speed read through 12 because we think it's not as important because we're getting to 13 and Paul's telling us that, you know, these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out are great. They're good. But there's a greater one. That greater one is love. Right? That's the greatest gift that God has given us. That's the greatest gift that we can give to others is by loving them and showing them the way and, and demonstrating love to them. But in chapter 12, Paul is writing about something very important. He's saying that in, in verse 4, if I can get my Bible pages to turn, they're stuck together. It says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So God calls us all to love in in 1 Corinthians 13. He says that's the greatest gift. But what Paul is alluding to here, he's saying that each and every person that God made was made in the image of God... And because they're made in God's image, they possess some type of gift that they can use to reflect God to the world and to build build up His kingdom. He created each and every one of us with a purpose and a reason. Think of it this way. So we, again, we all know the story of, of the Garden of Eden, right? In the beginning, God makes man, and He makes woman. He makes a male and female. 
It's very important. Male and female. Pink one and a blue one. A blue one and a pink one. No matter how you switch order, it's that way. But do you remember in Genesis 2, it tells us how he goes about creating them. Right? It's just, it's just the man there by himself first. And he has an animal parade, and he names all the animals. And as he's looking at the animals, he realizes that there's not one in this group that can help me. Like, they're, they're, they're cool, they're great. Some of them are really cool and great. Some of them not so much. But, but, but these animals are awesome. But there's not one in this group that can be my helper, that can, that can be on the same level as me. So what does God do? He puts the man to sleep, and he breaks, literally, he takes the image and he breaks it into two. Now, when we think about that, we think about it solely for the idea of marriage. You know, and now we're just, you know, when the two kind of come together and become one. But what God also is teaching us in that passage is about community. You and I were not created to exist alone. We were we designed to, to exist alongside other people in the community and, and reverence and worship of God. And if each and every one of us are a reflection of the image of God, that means when the image was broken in, in two, so I was when I, I reflect God with certain abilities that I have, and, and that means you reflect some reflect God with the abilities and skills that God has given you. But for, the only way for you and I to truly reflect the image of God, the, the only way that we can truly do that and accomplish that is if we were to come together and combine our skill sets and combine our abilities together. God created us to do the work of His kingdom together. I was called to preach when I was 16 years old. And, I, and it took me until I turned 35 to get reach ordination. <laughs> Lots of people go to school for that long. Most of them are doctors by now, but... That's okay. But I didn't get from that starting line to that finish line by myself. Yeah, I had to do the work. I had to take the classes. I had to read the books. I had to turn the papers in. But there was always somebody there with the, hey, Jason, get going. Hey, Jason... You got this. Hey, Jason, let me help you with this so you can make sure you get that done. Hey, you want to quit? No, you're not. You're going to keep going. (laughs) And what's amazing is along the way, as I've gone about ministry, the one thing that I, I have learned is sometimes I have good ideas. Not very often, but sometimes I have them. But none of them have ever worked out without somebody else coming alongside and helping. Took a group. Matter of fact, you know, so I told you a little bit about that youth group. What was special about that youth group, when I got to that church, I only knew there was going to be one kid in the youth group, and that was the pastor's daughter. Her name was Gabby. And her and her, her, she is mad at Shannon right now because she's stealing all Ben's attention. 
She was the only kid in that youth group when I got there. And so I planned this one activity, and it was going to be a cookout at my house, and we had three students show up, Gabby and these two other girls. And I sat them down, and I said, I want you to know something. We're getting ready to start this youth group up. And I'm going to be your youth pastor, but understand, this, this youth group will grow or die because of you. Because this isn't my youth group, this is your youth group. I'm, I, I, was, I think I was in my 20s still at that time. Somewhere. I'm 20-something years old. I've been out of school for a while now. I'm not a teenager, but you are. I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to teach you about Jesus. But if you want this youth group to grow, you're going to have to help do it. That youth group grew from those three kids to, we had probably about 40 on our roster. We averaged about anywhere from 15 to 20 on, on Sunday nights. Was it driving around with a church van offering free candy? No, that's not how it, how it worked. What happened was the teens got excited about Jesus, and they realized that they had a place in God's kingdom. They had a job to do, that they had skills that they could use to reach people that I couldn't. And that's what built that group. As people came along the way, it's actually been fun for me as Nicole's answering her own call to ministry, and she's wrestling with, with how to do ministry too, and, and she's, she's been leading some youth groups, and she leads youth group entirely different than I do, mainly because I'm obnoxious, and she's not. But she's doing the same work, but differently. See, God, it's one spirit, it's one ministry, but different people and different skills. You see, we put these names in this prayer box up here. And I bet you if I were to pop the lid off and go through all the names, you, you, and I would ask you all what, what name you were in, you could tell me their story. You could tell me about them. You know them. I don't. <laughs> Just be honest. I don't know them. I would. Love, I want to meet them. I hope I get to meet them. I'll do whatever it takes to get in front of them. But I'm gonna let you know something. I will never know them the same way that you do. I've been here for a month. You've been here your whole life. Some of you. You've grown up with these people. You've lived life with them. You've hurt with them. You've ex- you rejoiced with them. I, I know what God's called us to do as a church. God's called us to reach the lost people and bring them in. He's called us to reach out and be a, that safety place for them and, and be the one that points them to the Savior that has the answers that they're looking for. And I can preach the messages. Emmy can scream really loud like that. But what I can't do is I cannot help get them to Jesus by myself. I do not have the skills. I do not have the knowledge. I do not have the ability. Yes, I may have some good ideas every once in a while. It'll be an accident. Or it'll be the Holy Spirit. 
But the only way they're going to work, the only way that it's going to work is if we come together. And you tell me, Jason, yeah, that's a good idea, but what if we did it this way? Hey, Jason, have you thought about this instead? Hey, hey, this friend of mine, they're going to be at this place at this time, and I know you go running that way. What I'm trying to get at is we can't, I can't do this by myself. I don't have the skills. That, as the needs pop up around the church, say the lights start falling from the ceiling. Let's hope not, right? You're not going to ask Pastor Jason to do it. We'll, I'll say, well, where's the duct tape? That ain't going to cut it. There's some of you here, you have those skill sets. You see what, what BL, BZL and Oholiab didn't think about when they learned those skills is they were going to be used in the forming of the worship of God for their entire nation. That they were going to play an essential role in creating the tabernacle. And that's how it is with all of us. All of us play an essential role in building God's church. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit, but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to take us and use us exactly where we are, use our skill set, our knowledge base for His kingdom's sake. There are going to be times where words don't solve the problem. There's going to be times where brains aren't going to accomplish anything. There are going to be moments where it calls for hands that are ready to do things. There's going to be moments where it calls for eyes being able to see things. Because we all see things differently, that's why we need each other. Well, I could keep beating a dead horse, but it's not. I'm going the wrong way again. This is our, uh, you're going to start seeing this thing everywhere. This is, our, this is our church logo. And you may have seen on these t-shirts that we got that says, He has made me glad. Does anybody see the t-shirt? He has made me glad. Remember, glad is an acronym. For go, love, and do. That's not just calling me to go, love, and do. That doesn't mean I'm not, you know, I have responsibilities. I have things that I have to go and do as the pastor. And just as, and don't think that, that gets me off the hook of doing the work of, of evangelizing and reaching out to the lost. I still got to do that too. You see, when you're in church leadership, when you're a leader in God's kingdom, it's not about, you know, you don't get a different set of rules from everybody else. You get the same set of rules, but the standard's up here. You set the example for everybody else. So that means I have to be the I have to be I have to go love and do. But it can't just be me. It means the church board has to go love and do. It means the Sunday school teachers have to go love and do. It means each and every person here, we have to be willing to go love and do. And that's how God's going to use us. That's how God's going to work through us and bring people into His kingdom. But we have to be willing to do that. 
Uh, so as we close today, and as, we, as we're reflecting on this, of, of this idea of go, love, and do, being that type of people, it made me think of, of, of that last meal Jesus shares with his disciples. Remember what Jesus says to them? They're all gathered there, and he says, I want you to do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. And he's telling them, he's literally handing them the elements and saying, this is my body, which, is, which was broken for you, and this is the blood, which is for the new covenant. Not only is Jesus have them sitting at the table with him in fellowship with him, but he's also, when he's giving that invitation, he is inviting them to participate in the work of the kingdom. So this morning, we're going to close this communion together. And understand, when we come and take communion, yes, we're here to celebrate, we're here to rejoice what Jesus did for us. But when you partake those elements, what you're saying is, I'm willing to go love and do. Because that's what those elements point us to. It points us to Jesus, but Jesus commands us to go. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. It is recorded live at the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street in Ravenna, Kentucky. Our theme song is The Dirt Path by Jeremy Edwards. Be sure to visit the Podcast.com where you can leave me a message, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and find daily devotional videos.